You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And co-hosting with me today, I have our Director of Recruitment, Casey Galpin. Today on the podcast, we're talking orthopedic surgery with Dr. Amit Momaya. Dr. Mamaya is a board-certified sports orthopedic surgeon out of Alabama. He's currently working with the University of Alabama, Birmingham. He's also really involved in clinical research. And when you talk to Dr. Mamaya, he is so passionate about orthopedic surgery, it just spills out of him. It's hard to miss. So we are really excited to have him on the podcast today. And let's get started. And just a quick reminder, this podcast is intended to be an open forum. Any personal beliefs, views, or opinions represented in this episode are that of our guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Pacific Companies. So please have an open mind and remember that this podcast is not a news source, but rather a safe and neutral platform for candid conversations. Dr. Mamaya, thank you so much for being here today. To start this off, give us a little background on yourself and let us know why you went into medicine. Sure. You know, I've always, from a young age, wanted to go into a profession where I have the opportunity to help individuals, help individuals get back to the life and healthy lifestyle they want to live. And so medicine was a perfect opportunity for me to uh, go down that pathway of helping people. Also, a lot of what my early studies uh, with math and science as a biomedical engineering major um, in undergrad kind of helped pave the pathway towards orthopedics specifically because it was very kind of oriented to the mechanics of the body and joints. Interesting. Tell us more about your training. Sure. So I went to, uh, I went to college at Duke University, uh, became a very big Duke basketball fan, of course, <laughs> then uh, went over to Houston at uh, Baylor College of Medicine. Um, and then I went to residency at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, where I did an orthopedic residency for five years, and then went on to do a sports medicine fellowship at the Sedmond Hawkins Clinic of the Carolinas in Greenville, South Carolina. Had the opportunity there to take care of a lot of high-level athletes, and then I was recruited back to University of Alabama, Birmingham, um, where I've had the uh, privilege of practicing and taking care of a lot of sports teams here. So take me back. What was it that drew you into orthopedic medicine? Sure. You know, I grew up playing a lot of sports, um, grew up playing baseball, running long distance, so I always enjoyed sports. Um, and then I liked taking care of kind of the injury and looking at the injury um, side of things. Uh, when I was an undergrad, majored in biomedical engineering, so clearly kind of a lot of biomechanical stuff that we were learning about, how joints function, um, stress and strain relationships, and so forth. And so when I went into med school, in the back of my mind, I always kind of knew sports medicine was a topic that I was heavily interested in, in um, with my background in sports and my major in undergrad. And as I went into rotations in med school with orthopedic surgery and kind of seeing all the cool things that orthopedic surgeons get to do, um, I just absolutely fell in love with it. I, I, I knew it was my calling and uh, wanted to be 100% dedicated to orthopedic surgery, and so I loved it. And that's how it should be. I love hearing that. I don't care if you're a doctor or a contractor. You got to find that niche within what you do that makes you want to get up in the morning and gives you passion, brings you excitement. That's what it's all about. But even that being said, I'm sure there's some things that are not so great 
about orthopedic surgery. So tell us what you like most and least about your specialty. Sure. I, I think the let's start with the the best thing I love about orthopedics is the is the opportunity to bring people back to their healthy and active lifestyle. Um, I think the results are very tangible. For example, if you take someone, uh, you know, whether a collegiate professional soccer player, for example, who tears his or her ACL, um, and that's a life-altering injury for them at that, that stage in their career, um, reconstructing the ACL and seeing them work through and get back on the field is just absolutely amazing and just very gratifying uh, to be able to play such an important role in someone's life like that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I like the most about orthopedics. Um, you know, I'd say the uh, one of the toughest things in orthopedics is that a lot of times patients will start to feel feel pretty good after you operate and fix something, but we know that the body takes takes time to heal, and sometimes you don't have control over patients doing a little too much. Um, that can be that can be tough at times um, when patients are non-compliant with their post-operative restrictions and try to try to do too much too early. Okay, Dr. Moria, so if you can take it back when you're doing your general orthopedics um, residency. How, how do you, what kind of goes through your mind of deciding sports versus total joints? Because those seem to be the two that are most comparable because you're doing a lot of knees and um, so on and so forth. How do you decide, okay, I'm sports is going to be my career versus a total joints fellowship? Sure. You know, both, both are great specialties. Um, what really, what really kind of attracted me to sports is also enjoyed working with kind of youth athletes mm-hmm. and kind of preserving their joints. You know, with total joint replacement, you're, essentially replacing the arthritic joint with plastic and metal, and you're giving them a great great level of function after that, um, but these patients are often much older, um, and the activity they're looking to get back to, in general, is not nearly as high high strenuous activity um, hmm. versus in sports medicine. I think you're, you're, the number of cases, the type of cases is much more variable, you know, largely doing shoulders and knees, but also you'll work on ankles and hips and elbows and so forth. Um, and also, you kind of develop a rapport with these patients. You know, I take care of not only a, a sideline for high school, but I'm also a sideline for college and professional teams. And mm-hmm. at all levels, you develop a certain level of rapport doing sideline coverage, working out in the community. So I think I love that aspect of it also. Um, so that's kind of what really differentiates a sports medicine surgeon from other specialties, uh, like a total joint surgeon, is kind of the out in the, the kind of community outreach you can kind of have with that. You know, I, I I think that's that's really fascinating. And one question I've always had is, it, it seems like, as I'm a big sports fan myself, most of my colleagues here are, it seems like there's a lot of more injuries, especially to the knees, in the last five to seven years than it used to be. It might be because, just because of the coverage that's there, but are you seeing an increase in the amount of injuries? And if so, what would you attribute that to? We, we definitely are seeing an uptick in the number of injuries um, in all joints, but yeah, definitely knees. We've seen an uptick in injuries, and there's there could be multiple reasons why we're seeing such such an issue. One of the issues is that first of all, youth sports is kind of just exponentially growing. The participation in youth sports, the the level of competition, the number of games kids are playing these days, the number of travel travel ball they're playing, whether mm-hmm. it's baseball, soccer, that's growing significantly. Another reason we're also seeing an increase in injuries is sports specialization. What I mean by that is someone playing the same sport almost year long, really focusing on that sport, maybe playing for their local club team and a travel team. Mm-hmm. We're really seeing kids at a very young age try to specialize in a sport so they can make it to the next level, whether it be collegiate or professional. 
And that itself can place youth athletes at risk for injury from overuse and not really getting a chance to develop their other muscles or simply just not having a chance to rest um, and play different sports or take time off from playing sports. And so that's part of the reason we're seeing an uptick in these injuries. Would you say that a lot of the injuries, you mentioned the phrase overuse. Is it a lot of it because of overuse, you think, or under-recovering? Yeah, and, you know, it's kind of the, the two can kind of kind of go in, go in tandem sure. because I think sure. part, part, of, part of it is recovery. We do need rec- adequate recovery. We need time off between seasons. We need time, mm-hmm. off, time off between games sometimes. And so that's the, that's the lack of recovery we often see where muscles can be fatigued and higher risk for joint injury. And then the overuse part of it kind of goes in tandem with that is that we are not only are we seeing lack of rest between games and lack of recovery, but we're seeing in the same game that athletes are getting kind of pushed too much and they're, they're being asked to, you know, for example, if it's a baseball pitcher being asked to pitch too many innings or too many pitches mm-hmm. in a game, we've, we've kind of educated the public about pitch count, but we have a lot to, uh, learn still to help reduce kind of you know, youth injuries. And what are, what's kind of your thoughts on uh, weight training, uh, CrossFit, some of those type of things for injury prevention, or do you think that's causing an uptick of with the amount of, of time people are spending getting physically fit and getting physically strong? Yeah, overall, I think weight training is an important part of any youth athlete's um, kind of preparation for the season. So we, we definitely recommend a certain level of weight training. Um, but with a lot of these kids, it should be supervised and then a, under a program where they're, mm-hmm. not, they're, they're not using improper technique when lifting. There's also not m- many reasons for a, y- a young kid to be maxing out on whether it's a bench press or squat very often. Um, I think more should be focused on building strength overall, mm-hmm. building endurance, using proper technique. So I think I'm not against kids using weight training as a means to get prepared for a season or maintenance work during the season. But I think mm-hmm. these kids should be supervised and they should be, you know, be cautious about trying to max out uh, on the weight and instead should focus on proper technique and form and higher reps um, and less weight. I'm curious to see how you like working uh, for the university environment. Tell us about what your days are like and what sports that you cover, things like that. Sure. So, um, so yeah, as you, as you mentioned, I'm a sports medicine surgeon here at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Uh, I'm the chief of sports medicine here to so kind of overview, oversee all the kind of the development and um, expansion of our depart- uh, division here. Um, in terms of kind of uh, starting with the sports coverage part side of things, um, I take care of kind of local high schools, take care of the Division One university we have here um, at University of Alabama, Birmingham, um, which is a Conference USA school. And also, uh, we take care of the professional soccer team in town called the Birmingham Legion. And um, in addition to that, you know, you have your kind of daily um, clinics and OR schedule. And so, you know, I'm, any given day, I'm either in clinic or in the operating room. So, in addition to seeing athletes out there, I also see weekend warriors. And as people age, they get rotator cuff tears and so forth. I also see um, that population through my clinic. And so, I do a lot of those things on the clinical side. In addition, as part of my role in the university, I'm involved in a lot of research, doing a lot of outcome studies, um, seeing what techniques are working, and how we can kind of improve patients' outcomes by changing certain aspects of their care. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably football, but what sport do you find gets the most injuries? 
I think, you know, being in the South, football is probably our highest rate of injury. Mm-hmm. Um, football has a host of injuries, but most often knee and shoulder is the most common injuries we're seeing, and football mm-hmm. has the highest rate of those. What about what comes in second? You know, soccer is growing tremendously throughout the Southeast. Um, so we're seeing we're seeing an increasing number of kids participate in soccer at a high level, and um, ACL injuries are one of the most common injuries that a soccer player will see. Um, and so we are definitely seeing a high number of soccer injuries. Yeah, how does does it work? Does the university cover all the athletes so they have um, an insurance plan through the university? Yeah, so for the division, for the actual athletes that uh, are Division One athletes here, uh, they have they can go have their own insurance plan under their parents, and then if they don't have insurance through that, then the university does have uh, some type of insurance that kicks in to help out for the, and provide appropriate medical care for their athletes. And Dr. Moya, it also seems like that the uh, the recovery time is a lot faster now. Like, years ago, an ACL was going to be a minimum of a year out. Now you see people, you know, Adrian Peterson a couple years ago came back in like seven months. Is that because of the quality of the surgery, the quality of the recovery, or is that really just kind of individualized? Right. So there's a lot of factors that go into play there, um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, debate among the orthopedic community about rehab after an ACL and how quickly they should get back. And you're right. There has been a push over the past several years about getting athletes under under rehab situations where they can get back quicker. Um, but what we're actually seeing with the data is that actually the earlier you get back from ACL reconstruction, the higher risk of injury you could have um, of a re-injury of that ACL. And so even though the pendulum started to swing back to a quicker recovery, we're actually trying to swing that pendulum back to the longer time period because our data shows us that uh, right now, if we wait till nine months as opposed to six months after an ACL reconstruction to have the patient return to play, we are reducing their risk of a re-tear of their ACL graft. And so Hmm. you hear about these, you know, people like Adrian Peterson, who um, some would argue is, you know, just gifted, naturally gifted and able to um, come back much stronger because of the strength and so forth um, that he was just kind of preconditioned and had in that knee. Um, But our average athlete, high-level athlete, still takes from six to nine months to recover from an ACL where they're safe to return to play. Wow, and what, where do you kind of come in on the uh, the the spectrum when it comes to stem cells, PRP, kind of uh, alternative therapies like that when, for recovering from uh, you know ligaments and, and joint tears? Yeah, so we're we're doing a lot of research on that, and we're trying to use evidence based medicine to address some of those things. I do use platelet rich plasma, which mm-hmm. is where we draw blood out of the patient's vein, we spin it down to the liquid portion that has um, good growth factors in it and we inject that into multiple joints and ligaments, Great. that probably has the best evidence. The PRP is what we call it, has the best evidence, um, and it reduces joint inflammation and pain. It can also help, help tendinopathies like ten, tennis elbow, and we have a lot of good evidence for supporting in the elbow and knee. Now, that's PRP. For what people call stem cell injections, that's a lot more debatable um, because stem cells implies that we're we're injecting some type of biologic that can regrow or recreate cartilage and so forth mm-hmm. and honestly we're not there yet we we can reduce inflammation in the knee with some of these injections where we draw blood out of the bone and spin it down to get a concentrate of what we think may be stem cells but what we're finding out is there's actually not many stem cells in that solution that we're injecting mm-hmm. we're in it. we don't have the ability to actually grow back um grow back cartilage in that in the way that someone may think that we're growing back 
So a lot of research is still to be done on that topic. So right now, the most common use of biologic injections is PRP, although in certain cases I will um, do what we call bone marrow aspirate concentrate, which is what people often think of as stem cell injections. Yeah. Gosh, interesting. It seems like your biomedical engineering background kind of inspired you to do more of your research. Tell us more about the research part of your career. Sure. You know, I, I was privileged to have the opportunity to get involved in research early on in college. And uh, ever since then, I've, I've been involved in uh, research, um, a lot of it being focused on um, kind of ACL-type injuries, uh, rotator cuff injuries, shoulder instability, where we've been, done a lot of look at kind of what type of injuries, how bad the label tear is, or what kind of meniscus tear needs what. Um, so what we're doing a lot of is collecting patients' outcomes um, at six months, one year, and two years, looking at their recovery from a procedure, and we'll often compare it to a, another type of procedure or a slight change in the procedure to see if there's any changes in outcomes, because ultimately what we want is the best care for these patients and the best return to sport. Um, one, of the, one of the things we're going to start up here at clinical trial very soon is um, on ACLs, we're looking at hamstring versus quadriceps tendon autographs. So a lot of people in the past mm -hmm. either got a bone plug from their kneecap and their tibia or a hamstring. Well, those are the two most common kind of graphs. But recently we've noticed an increased interest in quadriceps tendon autographs for multiple reasons. So we're going to start up a randomized controlled trial between hamstring and quadriceps tendon autographs, follow these patients for two years, and take a look at their uh, re-tear rates, how well they return to sport, um, how, how much pain they had, how much stability they had, look at various factors and what kind of strength deficits they may have at two years. That's fascinating. Yeah. How has medicine changed since you started practicing? It's changed in multiple ways. I think uh, one of the one of the biggest changes you see on a day to day basis, honestly, is the transition from a kind of more of a what I call a paper based system to an electronic medical record. You'll hear mm -hmm. a lot of physicians griping about the electronic medical record because it uh, it does introduce a certain layer of burden on the physician. Um, it's been good and bad in various ways. I think the electronic medical record is good in terms of accessing patient information from. Uh, from multiple locations and being able to kind of coordinate care with other providers, seeing immediately what they've written in the chart and what their plan is. Mm -hmm. so I think in multiple ways, it's actually been good for patient care. However, in certain aspects, it's actually been detrimental because a lot of times with the electronic medical records comes a oversight that, you know, buttons X, Y, Z need to be clicked on every patient and we'll be watching you if you click this. And sometimes it detracts from the time that we have to sit with the patient, discuss what their plan of care is, um, it almost feels kind of like we're seeing the patient for a few minutes to get back and write a note for several more minutes. Um, so it can be it can be painful to do that at times, and that's one mm -hmm. of the one of the biggest changes I've seen because I was in residency halfway. I was in a system where we were paper notes, and then the second half we had changed to electronic medical records. So I was right in the middle of training when that transition happened. Yeah, interesting. So my favorite question. Um, what has been your most interesting or crazy case so far in your career? Yeah, I've, I've had quite a few of them. Uh, I think the most, I think the, uh, you know, the craziest case that we've probably had, I take, I take level one trauma call here, which means we see some of the most complex and gruesome injuries from high-speed motor vehicle accidents. Um, 
but I had the um, opportunity to work on someone who com- had completely dislocated their knee, um, and all the ligaments were torn in the knee, um, including the ACL, the PCL, and the ligaments on the outside, along with the cartilage injury and meniscus injuries. Wow. In addition, that patient had broken their thigh bone and tibia uh, wow. or shin bone. Um, so it was quite a gruesome injury, and they had also injured one of the important vessels called the popliteal artery running in the back of the knee. So, I mean, we're talking about a leg that most people would think will no longer be functional, and some people um, would recommend an amputation of that leg. Sports-related? Not sports-related. This was actually uh, from a high-speed motor vehicle accident. Oh, okay. Um, But um, where I got involved with the multiligamentous knee reconstruction was very much sports-type surgery. Um, so ultimately, the vascular surgeons were able to um, bypass the artery. Um, with the help of our trauma surgeons and myself, we were able to uh, fix the thigh bone and the shin bone. And then we were um, able to reconstruct all the ligaments in the knee. And um, this individual, uh, although a lengthy recovery, was able to return back to their job um, and be very functional. They did a manual labor job, and um, they're back at it, and uh, quite a recovery. Um, but it's it's amazing seeing the kind of transformation of a of a leg that might have been amputated to an, a leg that's very functional now and able to work a manual labor job. Yeah, that's got to be one of the most rewarding things to see an outcome like that and know that I mean you changed that person's life for the better. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, so what, you see that you're doing a lot. You're, you have a full clinical practice. You're doing research. You're with sports teams on the weekends, both college, professional, and in a high school. How do you manage like, your work-life balance? And how do you balance all that with actually having a life outside of it or a family? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question. And uh, I'm, always, I'm always readjusting because uh, if you probably ask my wife, she probably says, uh, I don't have a work-life balance. <laughs> no, um, no, but we're all we're always adjusting, um, making sure I'm making time for my family. Um, you know, one one of the things I'll I'll always kind of make sure is um, outside of work. You know, that we'll spend quality time. A lot of times, I you know what I we talk about is making sure it's not the quantity of the time we spend with our family, but it's the quality of the time mm-hmm. we spend. So I really try to make sure that the time I spend with my family is good quality time. Also, I take opportunities where I'm either covering an event or I'm uh, traveling for a research conference. Um, I take those opportunities to take my family, you know. Um, I think it's a great time to have a vacation at the same time you're going to a research conference um, because a lot of times you won't be fully occupied during that research conference and get to spend good time with the family, whether it's at a beach location or somewhere else. And so I'm always trying to involve my family in whatever whatever I'm doing, and I think that makes it much more enjoyable, both for me and my family. Um, so I think those are kind of ways that I'm doing it, um, and also kind of have just great great team of athletic trainers and nurses who also help out um, managing and coordinating care, and so that kind of takes some of the workload off me and helps make sure I spend good quality time with my family. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what it's about is that balance. And I think every single person and their family is going to have a different definition of that and what works for them. Um, You know, just talking to you, I was going to ask you the question, um, if you could go back, would you choose a different specialty? But you sound pretty passionate about this. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and I've been been asked that before in the past is, 
she had to choose another specialty, what would it be? And to be honest with you, for me, it's either orthopedic surgery or not going to medicine at all, which sounds, wow. sounds kind of crazy. Um, but that's how I think that just kind of speaks to how passionate and how much I love orthopedic surgery. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't consider it work at all. I consider it my hobby, consider it my passion. Um, it's, it's just, it's just a field that's very unique and different from the rest of the fields in medicine. Um, there's so much kind of different levels of thinking, you know, you're doing always 3D spatial kind of, uh, thinking. You're also working a lot with your hands, doing a lot of procedure based things. I mean, how many specialties do you get to use a drill or saw in the operating room? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun, and there's not any other specialty within medicine that's like it. So people always ask me, would you uh, choose another specialty? And I'd, I'd say, no, I would probably go into a completely different field if it wasn't for orthopedic surgery. Yeah, that's so funny because I, I knew before I asked you that, just listening to you talk about it, that that would be your answer because you sound incredibly passionate about it, which is amazing. Um, on that note, though, what would you, what advice would you give to someone looking at choosing a specialty? You know, the the mo- most important advice I would give is to make sure that that per- individual spends a lot of time learning about that specialty, either shadowing a physician that's involved in that specialty from an early age, I, <clears throat> whether that be early in training in medical school, because a lot of what people think a certain specialty might entail is very different from what they realize. And that's why you see a lot of people throughout med school change specialty choices um, because there might some people may have the wrong reasons for going into a certain specialty, whether it be financial, whether it be work-life balance and so forth. I think all those things uh, need to go out the window, and I think you need to pick what you like the best um, and what you actually enjoy, what does not feel like work to you. And, mm-hmm. that, and that's going to make, you know, a 14- to 16-hour day for me in orthopedics easily feels like a three- to four-hour day compared to, a, you know, another specialty I may not thoroughly enjoy. A short day may seem like a really long day. So I'd, I'd, the number one advice I would give is make sure you are passionate and thoroughly enjoy that specialty that you're going to go into because that matters much more than your work life or your financial um, happiness in that. Yeah. Do you think there's a certain personality to go into orthopedic surgery? You know, we, you know, we definitely – tend to see certain uh, type of applicants through orthopedic surgery, but the average orthopedic applicant, I think, is changing over time. I think traditionally you would find the what we call the kind of the jock, the, the individual that played high school or even mm-hmm. college sports. Um, that would be your, you know, typical orthopedic surgeon is they would be, you know, six foot four, um, big build. Um, but we're, uh, and we know that that's not required for orthopedics. It's a lot more finesse and technique. And, um, for the betterment of orthopedic surgery, we're seeing a lot more diversity introduced, um, mm-hmm. both racial and gender diversity. You know, we used to not have many females enter the field of orthopedic surgery because the work-life balance can be tough. Yeah. Um, and it was a field that probably was not very forgiving to females. But over time, our academy has made great strides to um, help females enter orthopedic surgery. Um, and I think it's been great. Uh, the diversity in the workplace has been great, and it's given an opportunity for all individuals to – uh, kind of see this profession and be treated as equals and um, become great orthopedic surgeons because, you know, we um, I think we're just a, we're a better profession when we kind of have better representation of the population. Yeah, I was doing some research and I saw um, in 2016, I th- think it said like 94% of orthopedic surgeons were men. I was like, whoa. And then the um, percentage has dropped increasingly a lot 
you know, the past five years. It's pretty cool to see. I would agree. I'm involved in kind of interviewing our applicants here for residency, um, and we've we've seen a dramatic change in just the the applications um, that we've received. Um, the number of females applying has increased, and the number of females in our program has dramatically increased. Um, and so I think we, we've all enjoyed seeing that transformation over the years. And is orthopedics, um, especially sports specific, is do you see this as a growing field right now, or is it kind of stagnant? Where what's your uh, feelings on that? And uh, no, I think I think it's exponentially growing. In, in fact, um, as our population, as more emphasis is placed on exercise um, and being healthy and leading leading healthy lifestyles, I think our field is exponentially growing uh, with regards to clinical care. In addition, the research that has taken off. Uh, there's so many different things. You had mentioned biologic injections. I mean, I mm -hmm. think we're just on the tip of the iceberg when it comes to biologic injections. And I can envision a time in 20 to 30 years from now where so many different pathologies in the knee and shoulder will be treated with certain types of biologic injections with the appropriate scaffold to tell the cells what to do and what mm -hmm. to grow and how to grow. And we're going to see so many injuries that we used to treat perhaps surgically or didn't have an answer for. We're going to see so many of those injuries treated with biologic injections. It's going to, it's going to really revolutionize kind of what we do and help treat our patients better. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so um, we're almost at our time cap here. So, um, but I wanted to get a couple of last things in for you. Um, one of them that we like to ask everybody is, if you take a look back when you were in residency, what you know, what do you wish you knew then that you know now about residency or getting into your specific specialty? Sure. Um, in terms of what I wish I had knew then, I guess was. I guess this is a, one of one of the biggest things is that you think that when you go through residency, that's the just going to be the toughest time in terms of just the number of work hours and so forth. And then you feel like you'll become an attending one day, and all of a sudden life will be easy. The you know the <laughs> you'll be you'll be leaving work early, not having to do much stuff on the weekends, and living an easy lifestyle. And that that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, I think your responsibility increases exponentially as you become mm -hmm. the attending physician. Um, you're doing a lot of work after hours that you may not see from the training perspective, just from terms of preparation for cases, uh, coordinating care, and so many other things. Um, so I mean, if that's the one thing I, uh, I guess I, if I had to go back, I wish I could see is this side of things is that the life becomes, you know, it's not necessarily harder or better or anything like that. It's just, it's different. Um, it's different, but it's still just as time intensive. Gotcha. And then what would be the, the, the one biggest piece of advice you would give a, um, a new graduate coming into the workforce? The one thing that you think that uh, you could give them some, some value on? You know, the one piece of advice I would give to a new graduate who's starting day one job uh, in orthopedic surgery is to just, just remember and take care of the patient first and treat them as they, you would treat a family member. I think that's the most important thing in this day and age where we're trying to see more patients. Um, there's always a pressure to, you know, speed up our clinics and so forth. I think some people lose sight of who's sitting in front of you. They're, trust, they're entrusting their care in you. You know, you have, it's a privilege to be able to operate on these patients. They're trusting their joint health to you. And so I think the most important thing is to treat these people with respect and give them the time and attention they deserve in clinic, after clinic, during the operation, after the operation, 
Um, and if you treat them like a family member, I think you can't go wrong. You'll, you'll treat everyone with appropriate respect. And, uh, and I think you'll reap the benefits because the, the most rewarding part of the job is to see people grateful as they get back to their lifestyle. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, this was awesome. Sounds good. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Have a great day. Take care, Doc. Bye. Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you'd like to be a guest or for more information, go to www.pacificcompanies.com.